This is Cleantech Talk, Cleantechnica's podcast series interviewing cleantech leaders from around the world. This episode is being sponsored by Pono Home. Hello, cleantech enthusiasts. My name is Scott Cooney, and my company has done energy and water efficiency retrofits for more than 13,000 homes and small businesses, saving our customers more than $3 million a year on their electric and water bills, while also reducing more than 11 million pounds of carbon pollution per year. Would you like to start offering this type of service in your community and do it for a living, make money? You can. Check out homeefficiency.com for more info. We do flat fee consulting to help you get started with our model, training you, giving the inventory, tools, software, and support you'll need. No royalties, no hidden fees, no sneaky add-ons. You can just get started. Ready to work with your hands and make a difference every day? Do it. Go to homeefficiency.com. Zach Shahan sits down with Mike Bernard for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. Mike is the chief strategist of TFIE Strategy Incorporated and a regular Clean Technica contributor. Mike will be co-hosting a number of Clean Tech Talks in the future, so stay tuned for more updates. Give me a couple of minutes just to lay it out briefly because there's a path. It's a, it's a what, 60 year path now um, the Republican Party has taken. There's a Southern strategy in the 60s under Nixon to take the white racists that the Democratic Party was abjuring and fold them into the Republicans, succeeded. There was the moral majority to get the white evangelicals uh, under Jerry Falwell et al. and Pat Robertson into the Republican tent, so that was the young earth creationists. There was the creation of Fox News explicitly as a propaganda arm of the Republican Party by Murdoch and in the context. And actually, Roger Ailes was really the, the one who I think had the idea. And basically, what I heard recently was he saw what happened to Nixon and he thought if we had something like Fox News, that Nixon would have not been removed from off, would not have had to resign because they would have had a kind of propaganda protection. And so he envisioned Fox News and he and Murdoch built it. But anyway, it was perfect. Yeah, and the, the Fox News is a, is a propaganda knockoff of CNN. It's really what it was designed to be. And it's, you know, you can see it now coming to its end game as uh, the, the best actual journalists are now leaving $15 million a year salaries because they just can't be associated with the organization anymore. But then even continuing forward, in the past decade, a, a decade ago, the anti-vaccination movement was evenly split across Republicans and, and the Democrats. Um, the hypothesis was that it was a lefty thing, but that was a stereotype. The polling and studies showed that it was evenly split. But in the past decade, there's been a significant increase in anti-vaccination views on the right, and we're seeing Republicans from Trump on down through five gubernatorial candidates in the November 2018 elections leaning into that. We see Oregon lawmakers, Republicans, introducing anti-vaccination bills. The Republican Party is in a position where it is scooping up the most irrational and most harmful subsets of the populace to add them to their conspiracy ideation base. And they're increasing their being divorced from reality. And you know somebody's aware of what they're doing. They're doing it intentionally and with full insight that they are creating a non-rational, non-empirical, fact-free zone. 
And I don't know how you overcome that in a country like the United States. Okay, so a few things. I, I have a lot of time for Pete Buttigieg. Um, and I have a lot of kind of weird overlaps. Like he's got a military background. I was a military brat. And then I was, you know, part of a well-regulated militia, which nobody commented on, despite you laughing hysterically about it. You know, so I've studied seven non-English languages and failed miserably to become even more than conversational um, beyond French and Brazilian Portuguese. And he's, you know, I think speaks seven languages. Um, undoubtedly, all six of the non-English languages he speaks better than I do. Um, you know, he's got a musical background and I did musical stuff as well. He worked for a global consulting firm and I worked for a global consulting firm. Uh, he's an urbanist. And as you and I have discussed many times uh, in ver various forums, you know, you and I are both urbanists and he's an urbanist. Yeah. As you talk about this, you even sound like him. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you sound actually now that you... I, I, this is part of me not paying it to, not eating the messaging. I don't actually listen to politicians most of the time. I read the policy documents and I read the analyses, but I don't listen to them speak. Um, but yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm a cent I'm a, I'm from Ontario, which is kind of north, basically just north of South Bend. You know, it's, it's adjoining state province boundaries. There's people in, a, in Michigan who are Ontarians and vice versa. I actually have a friend of mine who lives in Michigan, but he's an Ontarian and vice versa. Um, but you have an extremely similar talking style and, and some words. It never hit me before, but now it's like, whoa, that's wild. Well, and some of it is just, you know, the military kind of tends, tends to damp down variances and where global business tends to damp down stuff. I, I just discovered that he spent time working with one of the same clients I worked with, Loblaws, which is the biggest grocery chain in Canada. You know, so he was doing stuff related to their pricing of their products. And I spent time working on, on stuff related to their technology stack. You know, so we even have clients in common from our consulting. It's very silly. And I have a lot of time for him as a guy who has that kind of military background. He's a small, you know, pretty small town. South Bend is not a huge city. It's what, fourth biggest in Michigan. And it's, and, but it's, you know, got the standard Rust Belt urban problems. It's got a, you know, a, a, a relatively impoverished community of color. It's got um, challenges with decaying infrastructure and a reduced uh, economic base. And I have a lot of time for him stepping in there as mayor and serving. This is, I have a lot of time for his service in the military. I have a lot of time for him serving as mayor. And I have a lot of time for his efforts to do that. And I have a lot of time for his attempt to become more, to serve in a greater capacity. I have a lot of time for him being an openly gay candidate. Because I think, I, I, remind me, is this the first openly gay presidential candidate on either side? Oh, I'm pretty positive. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm, I'm shocked a little bit that, it's, um, that it doesn't get more attention. But the thing is, I think it doesn't on the Democratic primaries because of who Democratic voters are, but I think it would pretty much blow up in the general election. I, I, I don't know. Well, it, it, well, this is part of it. You know, we were talking about all the things that Republicans believe almost as much as Democratic voters do. And one of those is the average person in the United States since doesn't think gay marriage is an issue. It's small subsets, almost entirely parts of Republican wedges that still have a problem with gay marriage. The vast majority of people have moved beyond that. The vast majority of people think, oh, 
you're gay, who cares? Okay, so you're not going to be trying to, you know, marry my daughter. Good enough. Um, it's just not an issue socially, like so many of these other subjects um, anymore, outside of specific wedge areas. Um, it's not the third rail and that race is uh, in the United States still. Yeah, hey, well, I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I think I'm such a coastal elite, whatever, you know, that I'm very much in this world. The instance, the sort of interactions I've had with people in whatever flyover country, they're just such a different culture that I, I, I'm not really sure. If you sh throw data at me, I'm sure I'll, I will absorb it. But I, but I just feel like it might be a more of an issue, much more of an issue with the Republican voters that would end up being, um, you know, it might not be a big issue overall, but it might be enough no. to, to, to push people a certain direction in certain, certain swing areas, you know, but I don't yeah, know. I, I don't disagree, but, you know, if we look at it, though, he's a Michigan South Bend guy. He's a central United States, he's a flyover state guy. He's um, got military background, which is incredibly unusual in presidential candidates these days. You know, the last one I remember was uh, John Kerry. Yeah, it's ironic that Kerry had this tremendous background, and then <laughs> they and got they, swift boated. Yeah, they flip they flipped it. I was just sort of just the, the hypocrisy that. Oh, oh, I guess McCain. McCain is McCain was candidate against uh, oh, Obama as right. well. Yes, yeah, so right. and McC you know look what Trump is doing to him. I prefer guys who don't get captured. You know, it's it's one of the things that's interesting to me in the American political discourse more so than most others, is how tribal the belief set is, how strongly the branding has captured people. If you ask people about any of these issues outside of the branding that we've talked about, they accept them in larger numbers than anything that they vote for. But as soon as you label a policy a Democratic or Republican, the Republicans refuse to accept any Democratic policies, even yeah. if they are... Republican policies like uh, the Affordable Care Act. This was, I mean, I don't want to interject too much, but this was one of the shocking things yesterday about this conversation I overheard. Like one of the guys has a MAGA hat on. They start off, they're talking about philandering and, and you know, powerful men cheating on their wives and local specific local people, like talk, they're religious people and they were just talking about how horrible this was, these guys he knew and all this blah, blah, going on and on. And about corruption and, you know, under the table deals and drug and everything. And then they end up switching to the national discourse. And obviously, Trump has a ridiculous ongoing record of all of these things. <laughs> yet, they're, yet they're big Trump supporters. And it just like blows my mind. Like how in one conversation, they go from talking about how horrible these other people are and this stuff is to supporting Trump and his people when it's like the the corruption and abuse and abuse of power and and the misogyny is just out of this world and i was like how did how do they reckon i don't understand how they reconcile these things but i think you nailed it it's about the branding the, the branding you know as soon as you put the republican democrat branding on something that that does it and trump is very good at that kind of uh, yeah it's divisive but it works so Buttigieg. Um, so let's talk about his climate plan, because I haven't really looked at most of his other uh, policies. I, I hear that he's kind of the heir apparent to Biden in the sense that, you know, if Biden falters and fails, there's somebody who's acceptable to people who want a white male who's acceptable to middle America. 
you know, so if it's not Uncle Joe, then, you know, it's going to be Pete Buttigieg. And he's doing very well in the polling and he's got a lot of big donors and you know, he's got a lot of people on his, his, his side. You know, nothing like McKinsey to give you a, a global and national network of big donors. So I don't really know a lot about his policies. I just know that he's a centrist democratic person, candidate in general. But then I look at his climate change plan because that's what we're talking about. And he really is kind of Joe Biden's kind of follow on. He's down among the, among the six candidates I looked at. He's got the second worst plan. It's right down there with Biden's in terms of being May. It's better than any Republican plan. It's if the Republicans pivot before 2020, he's seriously a risk with this plan because it's just not that strong. Uh, he's got the second lowest spend, uh, $2 trillion. And $2 trillion sounds like a lot, but he's spending that over, you know, he's committing that over 20 years. Uh, he's got some targets that don't come to fruition until 2035. He's got really poor articulation about where he's spending that money. A lot of it is going to adaptation. Very little of it is going to you know, mitigation of climate change. He's got some nice targets in some places, but they're weak overall. Uh, you know, most of them, uh, most of the candidates are leaning into electric high-speed rail, at least in some uh, some level or other. And Biden's transportation plan is good in terms of its thinking, poor in terms of its um, funding. And I can't even say that much about uh, Buttigieg's transportation plan. For a manufacturing plan, it's, he's kind of got some of the key things. Like they, they're, they're all going to rejoin the Kigali Amendment um, from 2016 in Kigali, Rwanda, which amends the Montreal Protocol on substances that harm the ozone layer. Oh, hey, brief aside about the substances that harm the ozone layer. I'm, I'm intending to write an article on this, but a peer-reviewed paper just came out that found that the Montreal Protocol actually helped with climate change. Um, I, I'm spending a lot of time on HFCs, which replaced CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons and hydrofluorocarbons, um, these days for a variety of reasons. One with a business I'm, I'm engaged with. But the um, HFCs are lower, they're high global warming potential, which is why Project Drawdown has them at number one on their list of business case um, reductions. You know, so we, we and that's what the Kigali Amendment says. We've got to get rid of HFCs, but it turns out they're actually still lower global warming potential on average than CFCs. So CFCs destroy the ozone layer, and they're really bad for climate change. Now, ozone is also a greenhouse gas, and so you know the green the ozone layer improving actually has a slight change in global warming upwards, but the reduction in CFCs has actually meant that we would have been worse otherwise. Who knew? That was an interesting take. Yeah, that, that's um, a nice, nice surprise because I yeah, had heard or assumed the, the other. I know, I know. I, I'd assumed it was, I, I've actually said this and I think written this, that the law of unintended consequences of the, Kigali, of the Montreal Protocol was more global warming. It turns out it wasn't. We kind of got a bit of global warming abatement as an oh, by the way, and now we have to take the next step. Um, other thing, the person who invented CFCs uh, that the Montreal Protocol took care of, the same guy was the guy who invented leaded gasoline. This is a guy who is known 
uh, among people who pay attention to these things as possibly the single worst individual for the environment and human health in recorded history. Oh my God. Now, great great uh, Department of Energy secretary. <laughs> now, it gets, it gets sillier though because um, he ended up uh, with um, uh, possibly Lou Gehrig's disease or something that was significantly debilitating in his 50s. And being an engineer, he was bedridden and he established this, invented this system of pulleys and cables that would enable him to sit up in bed and do certain classes of things, which sounds all very good, except that he managed to get tangled up in them and strangled to death in his own invention. And he seems to have a black magic touch or something, huh? <sighs> you know, as yeah. it's just not somebody you want as a consulting engineer is this guy, because whatever he touches turns to mold. But... Back to Buttigieg. Um, yes, he's up on uh, signing the Paris Accord for climate change. Yes, he's up on signing the Kigali Amendment. This is, you know, table stakes for dem the Democratic candidates. Uh, he is up on increasing the hundred billion um, the Paris Accord says needs to be diverted to developing nations to assist them to avoid the developed nations' mistakes in terms of industrialization. Um, and, and by the way, I, I would like to point this out. This is an interesting thing. The Paris Accord is constantly demonized, in my experience, by Americans who say, we're going to send all of our GDP to other countries, um, shithole countries in Trump's parlance, undoubtedly, in, in their minds. That, and, but the total amount is $100 billion a year, which is a tiny fraction of America's GDP. It's a drop in the bucket. You know, it's, you, you know, a hundred billion is, you know, you, when we start talking about climate action, uh, you know, what it's going to take to, you know, I did some math recently and I, I validated it with Mark said Jacobson, um, you know, about $3 trillion would decarbonize the entire, all of energy for the United States. That's $3 trillion. So a hundred billion in context of $3 trillion, yeah, that's not just not that much. A uh, hundred billion. Let's take another example. Um, you know, uh, Buttigieg. You know, he's offering a billion dollar, a hundred billion dollars. I think it is for transit. As another hundred billion dollar number. I mean, I think I think anytime you get into billions, even millions or hundreds of millions, for a lot of people, they just think that's a big number. They have no compare, no context. Can talk, no context. No, they're not comparing it to anything else. They just, you know, and depending on the way the person says it, <laughs> you know, the style of, of the delivery, uh, or, you know, I think that's, that's basically okay. what influence, and of course the branding, you know, whether it comes from a Democrat or Republican. And, yeah, it comes back to Mike Myers and, you know, Dr. Evil, a million dollars. <laughs> and everybody starts snickering. What? What? The uh, hundred billion that, it, that Buttigieg is offering for urban transit sounds like a big number. but Electrification of buses is one of the huge things because any place that has light rail or subways, they're already electrified, right? It's, it's not, they're not running diesel trains um, except for regional transit um, in some cases. But buses are one of the big transit places that are still high emitters. They're diesel, more than not. Um, so how far does $100 billion go? Well, I did the math. It's about a million bucks for a 60-foot transit bus right now. That's the capital cost. Total cost of ownership is quite a different ratio because electric buses require less maintenance and they're much cheaper to fuel and operate. 
But the hundred billion dollars for a million dollars a bus, well, let's California. If you just replaced California's transit buses with electric buses, there's your hundred billion dollars gone. It's just not that much money. One state, it's a big state, it's bigger than Canada. It's one of the more densely populated states by far. And, but $100 billion takes care of one type of urban transit there. It's just not that much. And, you know, and this is the kind of thing where I'd expect Buttigieg to have a better sense of the scale problem. Um, a, because he's a McKinsey consultant, like me, a global, you know, when you're a global um, industry consultant, you get used to big numbers. And I, I, I dealt with, I had years where my, uh, a, a billion dollars worth of proposals and contracts crossed my desk in Latin America and Asia. You know, this, you just kind of get used to big numbers. Um, and I'm sure he had the same experience in McKinsey. Uh, similarly, as an urban guy, South Bend, I don't think has a subway, but it has buses. So the transit file is on his desk. So he knows how much things cost or should. And the numbers are just kind of small. His entire thing is $2 billion. Man. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of his, he, he, even his rhetoric is sort of uh, this kind of conservative, uh, watch out for the deficit, you know, um, not spend too much, blah, you know, blah. it's very, very conservative kind of talking points he uses, um, which uh, I assume stem from some kind of fundamental uh, idea that, that the government shouldn't, shouldn't be spending much on anything, um, which is not very, um, it's, it's definitely not, not the approach of his competitors, Sanders, uh, Warren, et cetera. Well, but he does have some good stuff. So I'm, I'm, I'm as I, said, I started out really positive about, you know, the things that I like about him and I'm kind of mad on his climate change plan, but he has some good stuff in there. For example, he's committed to a carbon price and dividend. Um, he's much less crisp on what that means than Andrew Yang is. And unlike Yang, he didn't specifically adopt a Republican uh, promoted carbon fee and dividend to draw in those independents and kind of looser, never Trumpers as well. Um, but for people who are actually conservative as opposed to branded conservative, um, a carbon fee, a revenue neutral carbon fee and dividend is a Bacovian tax. It's a, a very conservative economic conservative approach to climate action yeah so i mean this, this came actually from i mean this proposal came from republicans for years uh, of course as soon as democrats started adopting it republicans demonized it but it, it stemmed from i think george schultz uh works has worked pushed it for years um former uh advisor or secretary under reagan um uh, and and it was really like a republican plan to deal with the climate issue until Democrats moved to right and adopted it. <laughs> I know. Uh, same thing in Canada. The last election, the one we had in October, which thankfully swung the right way, which is to say not right. The Conservative Party, was it was, it was run in part based upon the carbon tax in Canada. The Conservatives are saying it's really bad. It's destroying our economy, blah, blah, blah. Liberals bad. Conser carbon tax bad. Um, so they were ideologically and branding wise attacking a conservative fiscal policy appropriate for a subject like climate change you know and we see that time and time again in these space but pete's for it now pete's like the rest of the candidates outside of yang has no timing price 
scaling numbers, anything like that. Doesn't say what the initial price will be. He doesn't say when it'll start. Doesn't say how much it'll go up to and doesn't say how much it'll cap. All he says is we're gonna put a price on it. The second thing he says, we're gonna do this through Congress, which you kind of have to do. It's a, um, a revenue thing and Congress holds the purse strings. But it's also indicative that he's going to work with Congress. And it's like Biden saying, the partisan split will go away once I'm there because I'm the great uniter. Yeah, no, there's just, I, I, that's a fantasy that Joe is spinning. It's, um, I think, what, what's that word that he likes? Malarkey? It's malarkey. <laughs> well, the, I mean, the, the funny or strange thing about that is, you know, Obama pushed that idea for years and, you know, certain progressives were very upset that Obama tried for so long to, to work with the, the you know, to, to, to get them to just see that he had good intentions and wanted to work together with them and uh, and didn't just see sooner that they just were not going to do anything uh, with with Democrats and um, so it's a little surprising when Obama had that experience it ended up being one of his learning lessons that he worked tried to spend too much time trying to get Republicans to cooperate and then that Biden would adopt it at the same time I mean. I very much wonder, people promise all kinds of things in these presidential races, and that was a question I was going to ask at the end here was, I mean, what of all these candidates, uh, especially the ones we talked about today, uh, does, you know, do you see anyone with particularly good approach to getting stuff done in the case that McConnell still heads the Senate? <laughs> yeah, uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, honestly, right now, if, if the subject is climate, my candidate is Elizabeth Warren. She is not the far right pinko. And as get back, we, we mentioned Bill Gates. Bill Gates has actually come out and said if Elizabeth Warren gets the nomination, he might vote for Donald Trump, which I, I, I my respect for Bill Gates diminishes. Yeah, um, big, big time. And I have to say, from what he's done in the energy world for years, I haven't had a lot of, I uh, uh, haven't thought that highly of his critical. Yeah, to, be, to be clear, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has done amazing things on public health and disease control, although it has heavily skewed um, funding so that McKinsey and greater other consultancies are in there, you know, taking lots of money from the World Health Organization. It's like, what is it, three quarters of the funding for world successive, wave, successive waves of McKinsey-type uh, transformations of the World Health Organization. Three quarters of that is coming from Bill Gates and the Melinda uh, their, their foundation, but he's eradicated diseases. I I love him and Melinda for that. Still think that some of the stuff about Windows sucks, but I'm a technologist. So, um, but moving on back to Elizabeth Warren, right now of the front runners has by far the best climate action plan. You know, it wasn't that good until Inslee dropped out and she adopted a bunch of Inslee's goals and targets. But she's got a real sense. One of the things that I, I think is just tremendously un, poorly understood about Warren is that she is a very deep thinker who understands the structural nature and systemic power very well. She's a law professor or economics professor, I forget which, but she studied this stuff and then she went into politics and she knows exactly how what levers to pull in terms of governance transformations for long-term better outcomes for society and the climate. Um, unlike Yang, 
she's on the inside and she gets it and she's got fire in her belly to change. Uh, you know, that's why I have the candidates right now. I'm hoping that uh, Biden, you know, gets foggier and foggier and fades that, um, you know, our friend Bloomberg disappears. Um, and then we get into the question of, you know, Warren takes the nomination and then who become who, who becomes her running mate? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe Buttigieg becomes her running mate or Yang. Um, either of those are interesting choices. They balance gender. They don't balance, uh, Yang balance, balances ethnicity. They balance Washington versus Heartland. They, bar- they balance military versus non-military. They balance the conservative arm versus the progressive arm of the Democratic Party. Um, you know, they have something for everyone, which is- He, re- he reaches out. He reaches a lot of outsiders who are not uh, not in the party and not not even political, uh, which is interesting. He's got an interesting base. Uh, we actually have two or three big Yang supporters, and um, this has this uh, topic has come up a few times of whether Warren might pick Yang if if uh, she was a nominee. Uh, it's really interesting a possibility. I I wonder, you know, a lot of times the nominee ends up not picking another. Uh, one of the candidates for president pick someone else who they who they like and have have a good relationship with uh, but I, I think yang would be a, a a yang warren ticket would be pretty a pretty wicked ticket in my opinion warren's my top my top choice for a couple of months now and um i think for that reason uh, which we've talked about before she's she really knows how to put the needle in and thread just perfectly to get stuff done in the extremely complicated, legalistic, diff, you know, confusing world of Washington. And I, I just, I think she's amazing at that because like she dives into the details in a deepest way, the kind of the way that Elon Musk does into engineering or, or that kind of thing, you know, or physics. She dives into the details of policy uh, in, in a way that is pretty close to, you know, unmatched from what I, what I've seen. And I think could could really implement stuff from that. But then I keep I I I, I oscillate a lot because um, I see that on the policy side, and then on the po- political side, she makes me a little nervous because she she she's not always on top of her game. Political campaigning and Sanders is just I think by far the best message best at messaging in the Democratic Party tremendous set messaging and i think as much as the republicans would try to scare people and i think his his messaging would outdo them and would win over a lot of voters in, in swing areas so I, I see him as actually the strongest in a general election despite what the paper might tell you on that i don't i don't know uh, and maybe i'm wrong of course um and also bloomberg because i think bloomberg is similarly talented at cutting through the crap and, and messaging in a way that's really effective for for normal people and also, I think he's insanely good at diminishing Donald Trump. He's what I've seen, the little I've seen of him, he really knows how to put Trump in his place, which is way below Bloomberg's place at the table. And I think, um, I think Bloomberg could just demolish him in a general election with that. On the other hand, you know, the, the, the alternative reality of the right is so extreme. I, I don't really understand, you know, what what convinces people sometimes. Oh, but let's be clear about what it's not the right of the right. So one of the things that I published recently when I was electability was the Pew research polling on committed voters versus independents and which independents swung which way. So only 26% of the American 
voting age public are committed Republicans now. The number is, I think, uh, 30, 31% for uh, Democrats, the Democratic uh, committed voters. So, you know, 5% is a, is a fairly substantial swing. Um, and then the independents, there's independents who usually vote one way or another. Um, and as of the last Pew Research polling, the people who voted, the independents who voted Republican most of the time are only 13%. So that's only 39% of the populace, but 26% is closer to the Trump base. You know, and, and when I talk about this, it's like the, um, Hillary Clinton's unfortunate messaging uh, conversation about deplorables. Um, she was talking about a subset of a subset of the population, not half the population. You know, and when we talk about Trump's base, we're talking about 26% uh, of committed voters for the Republicans who will never vote anything except Republican. Um, and so it's a really good question. You know, Yang's strategy was very clearly to draw in all the never Trumpers and all the independents he could, assuming he would get sufficient Democratic voters to the table just as an, uh, just because you can. Uh, Biden's campaign is very clearly you know, he's assuming the progressive Democratic voters will just vote for him. And he's going for the centrists and he's going for the independents that are kind of Democratic leaning and maybe some of the undecided independents. It's kind of got a, I, frankly, he's, I don't like his campaign at all. It's kind of wishy-washy. Uh, so I'm saying it, it looks very, it looks very bad, I think, to a lot of progressives because it's not a progressive campaign really. But at the same time, it's, it's, He's he's betting that okay he's going to get the progressive vote no matter what because we're so you know don't want Trump again yeah. which is possible although I think there's a lot of people who will not go out to vote just like they didn't for Clinton but at the at the other hand he's really targeting those kind of suburban voters as they say suburban uh, soccer moms especially they say who just don't want to deal with Trump anymore. They're not really, they don't want a progressive candidate, but they don't want Trump. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I'm not really, I'm not, I wouldn't bet money on Biden, but at the same time. I, yeah. And he's got the black vote, which is important. It's a significant percentage of the American populace below Hispanics, but still, you know, 90% of um, on average of the black, vote goes democratic so the more those black people come out the better the democratic candidate does um and he you know because of his eight years with obama that's a lot of that's rubbed off on him Buttigieg has that black problem um which we haven't talked about you know he's yeah he had the I, I can't really see then. i don't see Buttigieg overcoming that really i mean, I mean he's working hard at it he's got you, you go and He's got like specific policies about uh, government procurement going to um, owners of color or firms that are owned by people of color. Um, in his campaign, he's named it after a specific uh, civil rights leader whose name escapes me because I'm bad with names. Um, he's got multiple high profile black uh, influencers that he references and have video testimonials for him on his website. He's working it, but it's challenging. You know, he's, it's such a word of mouth thing. But that's the other side of it, though, is to your point about where Joe is and where, where Biden is positioning himself. One thing that I've seen in my reading, and I'm, I'm not the best person to talk about this, but I've read 
people of color talking in this is that you know you can't over you can't you can't state that the black vote is a progressive vote. The black community are more much more conservative, especially socially conservative, than the white community on average. They know that Republicans are, are heavily against black people. That's kind of something you can't live without. The Democratic Party has traditionally been their allies, been on their side, so they vote for the Democratic Party. But remember back to the beginning of our discussion, Obama is an exemplar of that community. And he was as far right as a Democratic candidate has been ever. And the black community turned out in droves to vote for him and his policies. Um, they didn't vote for him for progressive policies. It was partway through his term that he actually finally accepted gay marriage. You know, he's, he's, he wasn't the standard bearer for uh, progressive policies. And the black community, that's not what's important to them. You know, their civil rights, yes, very much so. But that's preservation of civil rights um, that they, you know, acquired and have continued to fight for since the 1960s. Other people's civil rights, not so much. You know, the, and that's understandable. They're, you know, a systemically discriminated against minority in the United States, and their focus still is on battles that they're fighting for themselves more than on battles for other people. But yeah, um, Biden's got that vote. Buttigieg, he's got a couple of strikes him against against him. So hard to see if he'll overcome. He would overcome that. Yeah, I I, I think this is a this is uh, this is a huge discussion. We're not you know we're dipping our toes into, but it's a big one. And I have Carefully. seen. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean I I have seen it's interesting. Uh, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton is a is a big name in in this uh, world, and I, I think one of the I think one of the best political minds uh, uh, today. He's really really insightful and brilliant, and. Um, he, you know, he he hasn't been. Um, he's been more open to Buttigieg than I would assume, as well as some other some other notable black voices. I I think I think Buttigieg is, is going to be slammed uh, campaign wise with, with what he's done, his his problems, his issues, and and as mayor. But at the same time, I think if he made a strong some strong enough policy proposals. And I think he is really listening. Um, you know, they could. You know, uh, from what I've heard them say is, you know, people just count on us to vote, and then don't really ever deliver much for us. And um, if he went with, if he listened well and and proposed some some strong policies that the community was really asking for, I think he would. Uh, he could. He could swing that. You know, but it, I, I think it's a bit of a hard bit of a hard thing in such a short time and um, Biden has, definitely has a clear advantage. Uh, yeah, but, and right now I, I, I just can't find anything to be excited about from a policy perspective in either um, Buttigieg's or Biden's campaign. I just yeah. don't see substantive movement of the right na nature and level of urgency around climate change is an obvious concern of ours. But I also think that, you know, um, I'll say the, the following. Um, Obama, regardless of what else he did, was the first black president of the United States. Um, just by virtue of that, that's a place in history and that's a significant movement forward for the United States. And it triggered and lanced an abscess of racism that was not Obama's fault, although white conservatives like to pretend it's Obama's fault. Yeah, just I mean, he, he was like the perfect, <laughs> he was like the perfect uh, person, candidate, you know, politician to not actually stimulate that. I mean, it was like, 
but it was stimulated anyway because of the inherent built-in racism. Yeah, and so if we look at um, Yang, I think he's a fatally flawed candidate who has got one interesting thing he's bringing to the table, which is the his freedom dividend, the universal basic income. If he does nothing but introduce that as a policy discussion at the national stage, and it evolves through the next two or three election cycles until it actually comes in, you know, 20, 2028 or something in some form or other, then he's done his job. He's served his purpose. Um, Buttigieg is possibly the single most acceptable gay candidate for president that you can imagine. Um, he's a mayor from he's got, Indiana. He's, he's, got, a, he's got the he's, religion. Very religious, very Christian, very with a military background. Yeah, and he's a white guy. Imagine, um, a imagine if AOC was a lesbian, Republicans' heads would be exploding. Imagine if she was the candidate running for president as a lesbian Hispanic woman, they would just be exploding. But Buttigieg, you know, all those signifiers of conservative straight guy. And oh, by the way, he's not straight. Okay, well, the one thing that he may be doing is cracking the pink ceiling in politics for the next generation. It may be that's the biggest value that he brings to this race. Because uh, as you said, so far, it's a non-issue. And that's a really nice thing. That's, I'm actually very pleased about that, observing what's going on. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I, I think if it got to, I mean, I just wouldn't put it past the Republican Party and, and the, 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 of course the right not. wing to, to they, get they've really shown, nasty. <laughs> they've, they've shown that they have absolutely no shame. They would use anything and they would use that. There would be some bathos. You know, it's like that uh, thing that we saw. Um, I, I don't know if I sent that to you or not. I didn't end up in clean technica, but um, a, California Republican um, Vietnamese female candidate and serial entrepreneur opened a bunch of uh, tele telecommunications uh, shop outlets, you know, classic MBA route to franchise millionaire status. Um, you know, good story, nothing, no, 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 nothing wrong. But she came out with this video which compared AOC to Cambodia's Khmer Rouge and Paul Pot. Yeah, no, this stuff is crazy what you see. I mean, it's really, it's totally insane. I, I can't Somebody would come out with this, you know. Right now, Buttigieg is um, fighting off. Let's see, what did you really do for McKinsey? No, you, you were actually for this, worked for the CIA. Yeah. Where does that come from? And then he has to ask the C, then he has to ask the McKinsey to release him from his NDA so he can release his client list. <sighs> you know, how do you even project that somebody's going to go from, I worked for a really a big, boring consultancy, and I, I worked on grocery pricing to, for a Canadian grocery store to he worked in the CIA, and that's a bad thing. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, I, I just, well, the general election is going to be wild, whatever it is, but I, but I, I think um, at this stage, you know, it's, it's really, it's gotten harder to see Buttigieg breaking through, and I know it's early. I, I, I feel like, there's a better chance of Bloomberg sweeping in and, and uh, taking over than, than that. Biden has a strong chance of retaining, especially, you know, um, with his name recognition. But what, what, if, 
if you want to get go there, what would be your to end this? What would be your top three kind of expect? You know, the, the three candidates you think would be most likely to push through uh, and win win the nomination. Uh, I I still think um, uh, Warren is incredibly well positioned. Uh, Joe is faltering. Climate. My my perspective is that climate action is a much more important. It's going to be much more important in the twenty twenty election than most people are understanding today. Uh, I saw that in the Canadian federal election when the party of climate delay, um, 66% of the voters voted against them. They voted for parties which were for strong climate action. Um, and the Conservative Party ended up more than not as a regional protest party surrounding the two um, oil exporting provinces. And I see the um, federal um, policies that are emerging with the uh, new government's throne speech as being very, as betting the next four years on climate action you know, in Canada. Uh, I've already projected and written in Clean Tech, again, we've talked about my projection that um, Florida is going to be lost to the Republicans in part because of the climate change piece, but also because of the enfranchisement. I think Texas, um, Beto was an indication of a systemic shift and you can do retail politics and preserve a Republican seat by saying at the state level, as we talked about with Gates the other day, you know, the last time, um, you can be climate friendly at the state level, but you, if you're not climate friendly, at the, you can't do that at the federal level. You know, he's got to either switch or not um, Trump if he's still around next year. Um, you know, and I, I see that they're still, they're actually going to bring him forward as, as uh, my projection is it's going to be Trump next year as well, which just boggles my mind. I know, the, this is the biggest, I mean, I was thinking about this last night. I mean, apparently a Democratic senator, senator says there's a ch chance, I think up to five or a bit under five might uh, actually vote to remove. I, unless it's really a, a full concerted effort to remove him and they're going to do it, I don't see many people stepping outside the line and getting smeared for, for the rest of their life. But, uh, but the thing that this is a shocker is like, you know, 10 of them get in a freaking room, say, we hate Trump. They obviously hate Trump. They abhor Trump. They think he's a disaster. He's wrecking their party as well as the country. They would much rather have Pence. Like, just get in the room, say, okay, let's make it quick and short and remove him and move on. Yeah. And the base is going to catch up. Fox is going to change narratives. The base will catch up. Oh, Trump, yeah, Trump will Twitter. disappear. He'll be on Twitter. I mean, Trump, Twitter. Trump has even said it. You know, if I lose, you'll probably never hear from me again. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I mean, it's going to be painful for them for a short time. But then they will, like, be, I mean, they, they're they suffering almost as much as, you know, anyone in politics in the past you know, few years. And it's like, I don't understand why you can't see to just make that decision, move past it. I mean, these guys are supposed to be leaders, supposed to be you know, like prominent, powerful people. And they're, they're, they act like jellyfish. Like, I don't, I don't understand really. And I mean- well, It's because he's hijacked a portion of their base and turned them not into Republicans, but turned into Trumplicans. Yeah, Trumpists. <laughs> Trump yeah. Trumpists. Yeah. But, well, Anyway, so we, we do anyway. have to get to an end of this. Yeah. The, um, yeah. kind of the closing statements, I was, I was kind of going down a path. Uh, the 2020 election will be much more a climate change election. It'll be much more important than most people understand and realize. Um, Warren has the best climate plan. Um, per uh, political uh, science assessments, the 
most aggressive plans under those circumstances win. Um, with 69% of the populace and 68% of independents, you know, wanting climate action, or in the case of independence, saying that climate change is serious or very serious, with the rain bombs hitting Nebraska and surrounding states and washing fields and topsoil, which have been tended for decades by farmers, down the rivers and coating them in two feet of sand and clay, with climate change impinging upon Florida at a tremendous rate and on, on, um, and on Texas at a tremendous rate, with the wildfires impacting all of the interior of California much more than the exterior of California. The coast, horrible as the, the air down by the water in LA was, it's much worse in the interior, which is the Republican interior. That coastal Republicans are sitting there, they're hitting really badly on terms of this climate actions piece. And so you look around and it's, it's impacting everywhere. And so yeah. I, I think that- And the you know, mes messaging should be much stronger on that. It's, it's really weak on that. They should be messaging the heck out of that. It's, it would be- Which is why I think that, you know, Buttigieg and Biden, get out of there, guys. You're, you're off target. We'll, we'll make that the wrap. Thank you very much, Mike, for, for your, your insight, your, your extensive uh, knowledge. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Check in next time to get your electric fix. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, drop us a note. We are looking for more clean tech leaders to highlight on a regular basis as we fund clean tech talk.